story that's going to kind of help us along today. Um, and I want it to be an encouragement. Uh, how many of you guys are parents, moms and daddies? Uh, and so how, do you ever feel like a failure? I'll finish that. Do you ever feel like a failure when you're trying to teach your kids about the things of God, right? Like, it, it's hard, right? They just, how do you disciple your children? Well, this past week, spring break, hope you had a good spring break. We uh, went and did a, a wedding in Florida. You know, somebody's got to suffer for Jesus. Might as well be me. And so I was in uh, Fort Lauderdale in St. Augustine, Florida, took, make, made the trip. But I'm in the car with the kids quite a bit. And so my son Luke is enamored right now with Star Wars, right? Is there any Star Wars people in the room? Yeah, okay. So um, my son loves it. And, and everybody else in the family has this attitude. We don't care, right? We, we just, we've had it up to here with, hey, Daddy, did you know, right? And so in the car, he is playing Star Wars trivia, with his twin sisters that are six, he's four, and his mommy and his daddy. And to make it fun, I love it because we get to hang out together and it's kind of something that we do. But to make it fun, we give one point for every correct answer, right? But at some point, we're done. And so I say, hey, Luke, let me let daddy take the trivia ball for a little bit. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be a good good Christian dad. We're going to do Bible trivia. We're going to Bible, and I'm going to lob up an easy one, right? Now, now, get this. My kids are at church almost every single Sunday for three services. They're way more spiritual than your children, right? <laughs> They're here at 9.30 and 11 and 5, three times a week, and they love it, right? They love it. They have great, this is the great friends. They love their teachers. Uh, this morning, uh, Jeff and Lori were loving on Luke and just caring for him. And, but, and so I said, I'm going to lob them one, right? And so I said, who killed the giant Goliath? And without missing a beat, my four-year-old said, John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> you're at church three flipping times a weekend, bro. And he goes, oh, wait, you're right. He killed Mr. Lincoln. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. So here's the thing. Here's the transition to the message. If my son's only discipling opportunity is in Kid City, and he, they knew the answer, I, but... He's my child. But we had that moment where Jenna like, man, come on, you little boogers, right? So I want to encourage you on your parenting journey, that man, not to give up. It takes a village. It really does. And today's message is a message about discipleship. And uh, we're, of course, today is Palm Sunday. And this is six days out from Jesus uh, going to the cross so that he would reconcile us back to the Father through his through His enormous gracious act of love, giving up his life. And what I want us to notice today from the passage and what we're going to learn together is uh, hopefully uh, something that's going to uh, propel you. Now, here's the thing. Today's message is very logical. In my mind, it's very practical. It's not this, I don't know if you would call it a big motivational kind of inspiring deal. In my mind, it just makes sense, and I hope it will make sense to you. This message is primarily geared this morning, not for the person who is currently discipling, but for those who are on the fringes and you would just label yourself as a faithful or a casual churchgoer. And so if that's kind of how you would label yourself, I hope that today's message uh, speaks uh, specifically to your life. Let's look in the the Word of God, Luke chapter 19, verse 29 through 44. This is where Jesus is going into Jerusalem, his last week on planet earth. And he says, uh, this is what Luke records for us. As he, he being Jesus, came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Disciple simply means a learner, a follower, right? So Jesus had 12 disciples uh, that were closest to him, but there were scores more that followed him, right? 
And we know this because after Judas hangs himself, that they, uh, the disciples get together and they nominate to the twelve another disciple who had been with them since the beginning. And so we know that outside of the twelve, there was a lot more guys and women who followed Jesus, who were these learners, who were these followers. Jesus sends two ahead of him, and he says, go into that village over there. He told them, as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that coat? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the coat, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that coat? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Pay attention to these next few sentences. That's kind of the crux of the teaching. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, closer to Jerusalem, all of his who followers, his disciples, began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all of the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So imagine Jesus riding on this never-before-ridden donkey into Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of David, the city of peace. And as he's riding in, his followers, his disciples are going along with him, shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is a psalm that was always proclaimed prior to a king entering his city. My question is this this morning. Where were all of these faithful followers shouting, blessing is the one who comes in the name of the Lord six days from now? What happened to them? Where did they go? And my question is this. For the men and women who got to physically see Jesus, smell Jesus, touch Jesus, hear Jesus with their very ears, they knew what his voice sounded like. They could describe you what he looked like. They had been close to him, maybe held his hand, given him a hug. For those people who were in close proximity to Jesus, if they can walk away within six days when trouble comes, shouldn't you and I be aware when we operate by faith, when we haven't seen, we haven't heard personally, if those that are so close to him can walk away within six days when trouble, when, when times get difficult, what does that mean for you and I when we operate clearly by faith and by the word of God that we have and the Holy Spirit that rides, resides in our life? Like, what keeps you from at some point stop following? And I would probably argue nothing. I mean, there's sure there's times in our life where you're really faithful to following Jesus, and there's probably been seasons of life where you walked away or you backslid or whatever you want to phrase it, times of great faithfulness, and then times where, yeah, you were just kind of a casual follower. And we kind of go back and forth, back and forth. My question for us this morning is, man, how do you and I become faithful followers? We've been working uh, towards our series. Uh, we're starting in this, this summer. We're going to begin teaching through the book of Acts. And one of the things we talked about is we were preparing and reading through Acts, and I want to share it kind of with you right now, is how do we live a Sharpie life in a dry erase world? Does that make sense? You know, if you have kids and they've ever written on your walls with a Sharpie, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It doesn't come off very easily. And yet, we, we, how do we do a permanent thing? How do we become a faithful follower where we're following Jesus when it's both good and bad? Because there's nothing that's more frustrating for those of us who are faith, trying to be and striving to be faithful followers than pansy Christians, you know what a pansy Christian is, right? When things are good, God is good. When things are bad, they shake their fists at the heavens and say, God, where are you? You don't care. Come on. We got to get past that. We have to mature past that point. I wanted to give you this morning three decisions of a faithful follower. Again, very practical, I hope. Decision number one. You can't skip decision number one. Decision number one is that you have to decide to follow Jesus. 
Jesus is the one that you first follow. Please do not insert me in front of Jesus. I love Ed Garvin, but Ed Garvin is not Jesus. He's close, but he ain't Jesus, right? I'm not going to follow Ed first and then Jesus. Jesus comes first. I want to bring your attention just to two things. I think you need to know this. Two, uh, two things about following Jesus that's important about this story. One, I want you to notice how Jesus came into Jerusalem. Jesus came into Jerusalem not by a powerful horse, but by an uh, unassuming, a very uh, uh, safe, he rode a donkey. And why did he do that? I want to give you kind of two reasons why I think. There's probably several. I want to give you two simple ones. One, Jesus, for those of us, I was talking to Axel the other day, and we were talking about discovering really if the prophecies line up, that all these things that, have, that Jesus claims to be, and that people like myself and other pastors and teachers claim that Jesus is, are they actual factual? Do they really happen? And one of the prophecies from 550 years earlier is written by a guy named Zechariah, and it's on the back side of your bulletin there. And look what Zechariah says. He says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is legit and victorious, humble, and riding on a what? A donkey. On a young donkey, the fowl of a female donkey. He is fulfilling a prophecy that Zechariah had written 550 years earlier that Jesus, the king, going into his city, will not march in with an army, will not ride in on a chariot or on a horse, but that he would come in gentle and unassuming and with humility on that of a donkey. And that's the second point that I think is important. Not only does Jesus fulfill a prophecy here, you need to understand this. If you're waiting for Jesus to put you in a spiritual headlock, and give you a spiritual wedgie, and make you spiritually tap out until you follow him, it will never happen. Jesus is not going to force anyone in this room, from me to the person furthest in the back, to do anything. He simply invites you into a relationship where you can acknowledge who he is, and you can follow in his footsteps. But if you're wanting some tyrant to make you believe, and that's what you need, I hate to break it to you, it's just never going to happen. There's no fun relationship that you have to be forced to be in. That's abusive. Jesus, of, Jesus is not an abusive leader. He comes in on a donkey, and he invites, and he teaches, right? He will not force you. He comes in both truth and grace quickly. Grace is this. He accepts you just the way you are. If you're here this morning and you have not yet decided to follow Jesus, can I let you know this? He, Jesus, the scriptures that we believe, the word of God, the Jesus we follow, he doesn't say to you, go get your act together, go get cleaned up, go figure out your life, go get your finances ready, go get your uh, relationships worked out, and then you come follow me. He accepts you right in the middle of the mess that you're in, covered in mud, covered in blood, covered in sin, doesn't matter. He accepts you just the way you are. That is the grace of Jesus. What is the truth? That he refuses to allow you to stay that way. That's the grace. Man, I will take you just as you are. Here's the truth. Go and sin no more. Like, Will, man, you, I, just, I love you, bro, and you're, I want you to follow me. But, Will, as you follow me, things are going to change because the direction that I'm going is currently different than the direction that you're going. Does that make sense? And so that's how Jesus comes into our life. He invites you to follow him. He accepts you just where you are. If you're in the room and you don't know much about relationship with Jesus, he will not force you to obey. He invites you into a relationship, but then he expects you to go his way. Makes sense, right? That's the first decision 
that you must make. What is the second one? The second decision is this. Decide to follow someone who has been following Jesus longer than you. And this is where a lot of us Jesus followers get off the rails like that Amtrak train the other day. This is where we miss it. We, we think that because we've decided to follow Jesus that somehow we're done. And we've kinda, we're in the club and we're, we're okay. And I would argue to you, yes, that is completely fine. But going through this life alone on what you know can be really frustrating. Raise your hand if you've ever done something stupid. Okay, next week we're going to talk about lying for those who didn't raise their hand, right? Everybody in this room has done something stupid. If I can keep Cliff, are you older than me? You are. I didn't want to say that out loud. I wanted you to admit it first. Okay, so Cliff is older than I am, and I bet Cliff has done some silly stuff. Is that fair, Cliff? Here's the deal. I don't want to do the same stupid stuff Cliff's done. I want to get there faster, right? I want to win. Who wants to win? Does anybody here want to get divorced? Don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand, right? Does anybody here want to wreck your children, wreck your marriage, wreck your finances? I hope nobody's saying yes. No, we want to win. We want to get there faster. How do we get there faster? I learn from my friend, Ed Garvin, who's further along this journey than I am. And I say, hey, Ed, where did you miss it along the way so that I can skip that pothole? For us younger people in the room, I'm 38. For those of you who are younger than me, why in the world are you so determined to make a mess of your life when there's other people all around you who've already done that for you that you can learn from? Decision number two, first, it's Jesus. Like you have to settle that. But two, you choose to follow someone who's been following Jesus longer than you. I want to prove this spiritually, prove this biblically. Um, because we're doing this study in Acts starting in the summer, I've been doing a lot of research on the early church, like what they, how they behaved, what they believed, how they functioned. And in part of my research, I'm reading the New Testament chronologically, like not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but in the order that the letters were written. The book of James, or the letter in James was written first, and the second two letters was first and second Thessalonians. And it's interesting when you read those because you can get a real freshness for what it was important for the early church fathers to imprint to the DNA, into this future church people. And I want to bring your attention to what Paul says to this church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians, it's a letter he written. And if you're in your Bible, it might be under the heading, Final Instructions. And this was a letter that would have been given to this church, and it would have been read aloud to the men and women of that congregation. And I want you to hear what Paul says to one of the earliest churches after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at just kind of one word. We're going to teach on this later, but we're going to look at one word this morning. Now we ask, and we as him and Silas, he says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, talking to the women too, it's not just a a man-led church, it's men and women, brothers and sisters to, what's that word? Acknowledge, to acknowledge those who labor among you and preside over you in the Lord and admonish you. That means to reprimand or to, um, to get on you kind of firmly and to esteem them most highly in love because of their work. The key word is acknowledge. If I come, I'm going to pick on Cindy. Cindy's a friend of mine. I've been coming to New City for a long time. If I go to Cindy and I say, Cindy, I'm going to disciple you, and I begin to share with Cindy spiritual truths and spiritual principles, and I ask Cindy to join me in what I'm reading in the Scripture, and everything I'm saying is legit and it's right and it's right on target, If Cindy does not acknowledge me as a leader or authority in her life in that area, guess what? She will not be able to learn from me. If I go to Cindy and I just start saying, hey, I want to disciple you, Cindy, here you go, right? Now, Cindy's sweet. She loves me. She tells me all the time she loves me. So I picked on somebody that's safe and wouldn't do this. 
But if I just went and said, hey, I'm going to disciple you, and I begin to speak truth into her life, if she hasn't acknowledged that I am an authority for her, then guess what? She will not receive what I have. And so for those of us in the room who are not in the discipling relationship, we're kind of in a church-going relationship, I would encourage you to pray, to seek, and to discover someone that you can say, you know what, Matt, or you know whoever, I will listen to you. Now, at some point you do that because you choose to attend church here at New City and you hear me preach on Sunday morning. But this is not necessarily discipleship. Sunday morning, I kind of just kind of talk about things from a bigger level. And discipline, we get down into the blood and the mud of what life, how life is going and what the scriptures say to your life. And if you don't acknowledge the person that you're sitting in their group or in their home or in some room, if you don't acknowledge the man or the woman that's uh, kind of leading that as an authority in your life, you will not listen. And so before you say yes or, hey, I want to do this, make sure, make sure that you are willing to learn from them. And this is a decision that you've got to make. I think I want to give you six reasons, right? Like six reasons. And this is just me and my wife sitting down, thinking through our own discipling process, our own discipling experiences and saying, why is this so important for the people of New City Church? See, I can't give this message somewhere else because I don't have any kind of say in how that church is led. But here I have a voice. I have some influence. And I want to talk to you about if, if you're at New City and you simply just kind of attend church here, and that's kind of the baseline of it, I want to give you six quick reasons why you might choose to acknowledge somebody and learn from them. Number one is this. You will gain a greater understanding of the Scripture. Not because that person that you're walking with necessarily knows more, but because together you're going to be faithful in the Word. If you're, in a, if you're in a discipling group right now and there's not a faithful reading of the Scripture and asking what it says, that's not a discipling group. It's a group of friends, which is good, that come together to pray for one another. That's good. But if you're not in the Word and saying, what does this say to my life and how am I changing because of what it's saying, I hate to break it to you, but that's just hanging out. Number two, second reason. Now, some of you may disagree with this, but I... Sorry. It is emotionally healthy to feel the angst of being corrected. Who in the room loves to be corrected? Nobody. And what do we all do when we get corrected? Come on, put up your fist. You know you do that. The truth hurts, doesn't it? Don't you, man, don't you just hate it when your wife calls you out on something that you know she's right? Don't, don't you just know? Don't you, oh, come on. Now, you don't do that, hopefully, if you're used to it. <laughs> My first mentor was Chad Wood in, in, in Northeast Arkansas. He was my mentor to Sopler at Southside Community Church. And, man, there were some times I was young at the time. I was trying to figure out dating, and I wasn't very good at it. I know that might surprise you. I wasn't very good at it. And I can remember Chad sitting me in, my office, in his office and saying, Matt, what are you doing? Man, you're a bozo. Why did you do that? I'm like, Chad, I don't know. And he would just call me out on this nonsense, on my behavior, on how I was treating people. And, man, you know what? That feeling is not fun. But you know what that feeling does? It corrected my behavior because I didn't want to experience that again. And if you spend your entire Christian life staying away from anybody who might speak truth to you because it makes you feel uncomfortable, guess what? You will never change. Man, that angst of being corrected and man, man, that really stinks. Listen, that will change the behavior. It will change the direction of your life. Number three, you will need encouragement to finish the race. This is hard. If anybody's ever told you that following Jesus is easy, they flat out lied to you. And sometimes you're going to want to quit. Sometimes you're not, going to want to, you're not going to want to be obedient, and you need somebody to encourage you along the way. That's already been there. Number four, you will become more aware of your blind spots. What are blind spots? Those areas of your life that you don't currently see. For you, you don't think it's flirting. It's just a friend at work. 
For you, you don't think you have spending problems. It's just how you were raised. And for somebody that loves you enough to get up in your grill and say, hey, I'm observing this. Can you explain to me why? And please don't tell me because you feel like it. Back it up in Scripture. See where the Bible comes back in? That's discipling. Number five, you will become more aware of your sweet spots. Listen, discipling is not all negative. It's the sweet spots of ministry. Four great letters in the alphabet. I see in you. How fun is it as a discipler to sit down with somebody that you love on and that you're investing in and say, hey, man, Clay, can I just tell you? Can I just tell, man, you and your family what I see in you guys? And just to brag on you and speak truth. I see in you this. This is a sweet spot for you. You're very gifted here. Man, I'm telling you, that makes you stand up a little taller, right? Man, that, you really see that in me? Absolutely. And the last one is this. When you follow someone who's been following Jesus longer than you, you will be trained to do the same for someone else. You will be trained to do the same for someone else, which brings us to the third decision. The first one, decide to follow who? Yeah, not Matt, not your mama, not your grandma, right? Not your favorite author, Jesus. Number two, choose to follow somebody who's been following Jesus longer right? You got to respect them. If you don't acknowledge them that they've got a little bit no more than you do, then you're never going to listen to them. And then the third one is this, is that you would decide to invite somebody into your life to follow you as you follow Jesus. And this is where the church completely misses it. Across the board. This is my quote. I didn't put my name on it because it sounds arrogant, but this is just my thoughts. You can disagree. It's fine. But this is, this is just kind of my observation been doing this for now for close to 20 years. And here's an observation that I make about church people. Faithful churchgoers get bored with church and often stop going to church because they do everything except what Jesus commanded them to do, to go and make disciples. We need help in Kid City. We need help stacking chairs. We need help making sure the place is clean. We need help with hospitality in our usher ministry. We need help in giving. We need all of those things. But that is not what Jesus first and foremost commanded you to do. And if you give your life to an act of service, at some point, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that service is going to become boring. Now you come here, because, and I hear this from you, it's very encouraging, that you really enjoy the teaching at New City Church. You enjoy Pastor Chris, Pastor Matt Lee, Pastor Charlie, Pastor Casey. Sometimes you even put my name in there. It's very encouraging, right? It's kind, but at some point, I promise you, you will get bored with my, my, with my, uh, with my uh, what do you call it, my sermons. You will get bored with my delivery. You will find yourself saying, haven't we heard Matt say that before? Because here's the truth. I got like four messages. I just rewrap them differently, right? <laughs> That's it. But at some point, you will get bored with what was once exciting will no longer be exciting. It will be the standard. And you will find yourself at some point saying this, do you really want to go to church today? Man, I'm kind of tired. You tired? And you will find yourself just getting into this rut where you don't go. And do you know why you won't go? Because it absolutely doesn't matter at all if you show up or not. Because there's not a person here expecting you, counting on you, needing you. Because you've given your life to everything except the one thing Jesus said to do, which was to go and make disciples. Here's the thing. If you are not in an environment where you acknowledge that somebody has some, uh, some leadership over your life, and if you're not inviting someone to follow you as you follow Jesus, there will come a time when this, what you seem to kind of enjoy right now, will be boring. 
And you will make the decision to stay home instead of come because it's a little too cold outside. Or it's because it's raining. But I'll tell you this. If you knew when you came in this door that there were people who were counting on you, if you knew there were younger Matt Millers who were trying to follow Jesus and were dependent upon you and your guidance and your wisdom and, and you were helping them avoid the potholes of life, you won't miss because we need each other. So I'm going to close today with something that I've blurted out. Artemis is home from college. She's probably heard me say this six million times, so we're going to add one more to it. And if you're visiting today, you can take this back to whatever church that you go to. If you choose not to make New City your home church, if you get nothing else out of today, please get this because we're coming up. We're six days out from Easter. Here it is. You ready? It is absurd to think that Jesus got on a humble donkey and rode into the city of Jerusalem and taught great messages for those six days, and then eventually was betrayed, was spat upon, beard ripped out, crown of of thorns pushed into his head, that he was beaten, he was flogged, he was whipped, he was stripped naked and asked to carry a heavy cross through all of the city with his friends and family and strangers watching, and that he was taken to the hill called Calgary, and he was there, he was laid upon a piece of tree, and his, there were nails put into his wrist and nails, nails put into his feet, a spear poked into his side, and that he would sit there and he would hang on a tree, grasping for air, until eventually he would shout out, it is finished. And his lungs would quit taking in air, and the blood would quit flowing, and he would die on that cross so that you and I could be reconciled back to the Father. But the great news is he didn't stay dead. It's absurd to think that he did those things, and then three days later resurrect under the mighty power of God, and for his lungs to take in air, for the blood begin to flow, for him to be, uh, make himself known to hundreds of his disciples over the next 40 days, and then to ascend right before them, saying, Hey, guys, all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. What you've seen me do, now you do. And for the men, his followers, to be watching him ascend up to heaven, and for all of a sudden angels to appear and say, Men of Galilee, why are you gazing up into the heavens? Don't you know that he will return the exact same way that he left? By the way, next time, not on a donkey. Next time, on the horse. He's the king, the ruler, not the humble servant, but you're going to bow down kind of guy. It's absurd. Now catch this. Please catch this. It's absurd to think that Jesus did all of that and went through all of that and cared for us all so much so that you and I could go to church for an hour on Sunday. Absurd. It's absurd. I pray this, right? This is what I want you to know. I don't want you to get bored. And I want your life to count more then and all of the peripheral stuff around you, I want you to win in. But more than anything, I want you to know that when you walk through those glass doors out there into that lobby, that there are people who are needing you to get to their next spot on their spiritual journey. Whether they're little kids and you're, and you're pastoring my son Luke, helping him know that David killed Goliath, not John Wilkes Booth. Or you're working with our singles, or you're working with our seniors, doesn't matter what age level, but that you got skin in the game and you got that sharpie life and you're making a permanent difference. So here's my prayer. It's really simple. I'm going to pray our ushers are going to come forward. Time of giving and generosity. It's not a prayer to convince you. It's simply this. Would you guys bow with me? Jesus, here is my prayer. It's Revelations 3.20, which says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone were to hear my voice, may they open the door and I will come in and dine with them. And Father, you wrote that to a church. And I publicly confess, profess to the folks in this room, please never 
have to stand on the outside of New City Church, banging on the door to be welcomed in here. Jesus, you are totally welcome in this place. Therefore, my prayer is this. Jesus, I acknowledge that you could get people to do something that I never could. And so, Father, would you inspire the men and the women today to follow you, to follow someone else, and invite someone into their life. That's my prayer, and that is how we change the city in which we live. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.